0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of RealCom Live. We've got a great show for you today. Um, My one word, two word phrase, whatever is incredibly important. Um, And this is a topic that uh, we've actually been talking about for 15, possibly even 20 years. In fact, one of the foundational reasons RealCom was founded was I was in New York City and I looked up at a building, 40 story building, and it was two o'clock in the morning and all the lights were on. I said, why are the lights on? And, you know, as as we got more into the conversation over the years, we understood that uh, buildings anywhere from 40 to 45 percent of energy used is for buildings. Sometimes I wake up and I wonder why is all the emphasis on automobiles, which I think are in the low 20s. Not that that's not important, but why aren't we or haven't we over the last 10, 15 years really, really, really focused on the energy consumption of buildings? And in this case, the inefficiency or the inefficient use of energy. And so we've had the energy conversation coming in and out of our world a couple of times, two or three times over the last 20 years. And it seems to last for two or three years. And then it seems to fall back this time. I hope it's different. Uh, looks like we're going to get some real legitimate legislation um, that's going to be more of a stick than a carrot. Um, it'll be a combination of, of you know, motivate uh, you know, motives for the building owners and operators to do uh, on their own cost savings. But also uh, regulation, I think, is going to hurry things up a little bit. So we're going to have a big conversation today. It's going to be talking about a very big, broad concept of managing energy within a building or building portfolio or a campus, all the different things it takes to do that. Um, some people could call it a microgrid conversation. We're going to get into that a little bit. But I've got two really, really smart guys uh, who are going to reach this topic again. Um, and we're going to get uh, we're going to get into the weeds pretty quick. So Mark Petak, Chief Marketing and Communication Officer for LinkSpring, a uh, longtime supporter of our community, and Galen Black, Chief Solutions Officer from NXchange. Why don't we bring him on and let's get this conversation started. Hey, guys, how are you?
1: Good morning, yeah, there, good afternoon. Good morning. hey Jim.
0: Good. good Take t- hey, Galen. Good to see you. So before we get started, as always, I want you to give everybody a little context of you and your career so they know why you're going to sit here and talk about this topic. Mark, uh, you've been part of this community for 20 years, uh, not a more staunch supporter of efficiency and and uh, you know highly automated uh, functions within a building. Why do not you give us a little bit of your background?
1: Well, as you said, I've been doing this for a long time now, 22, 23 plus years now. And like you, I think we've been in the weeds together. We've gotten bloody black eyes and so (laughs) forth and so on. And uh, we've seen stuff come, we've seen stuff go, we've seen stuff uh, come back. And there's no other industry that I feel, and I'm going to put it in a wider context, the smarter building industry that is more vibrant that is more adaptable to the technology that exists and the need is there. In other words, we have to change the way we operate and manage our buildings. But is is it
0: safe to say, I mean, since you've been on the journey so long, the technology's always been there, pieces of it, parts of it, in some cases, all of it, but there has been a resistance to go all in and really accomplish the goals that that technology
1: is capable of delivering. fair? A fair statement, and I think part of that reason is the fear of failing. Uh, You don't want to invest in technology and it be a failure, number one. Number two, I think there's a perception out in, that still exists to some degree, is that you have to go all in or nothing. You can start, it's a journey, you can start and then continually add to that journey and then finally uh you know through realcom's help over the years we have proven the roi or the business outcomes and that's the key here there's a change it's not just about operational outcomes more efficient uh save energy like you kind of uh talked to in the beginning it's business outcome business is driving what we're doing today and the energy side and so forth and so on
0: all right, galen you're a little bit more new to our community and our conversation that we've been having for actually 25 years uh we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year um why don't you give us a little of your background your journey that leads you into this conversation today
2: oh thanks jim yeah i've, I've been in the energy space forever and uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to work with a lot of from the side of actually energy uh mining and development but that segued quickly into uh, a lot of electrification projects on the behalf of oil and gas companies. And of course, they were very much wanting to be on the cutting edge of giving that uh, that realization to their own company and to the world that they were trying to be renewable, sustainable. I got introduced to a lot of these opportunities through really through demand side management at the at the building level and also at the grid level. And uh, hmm. that's where I that's where I got connected in with uh, with our current company. And uh, the, my work there segued very well because our CEO at InExchange has been in that space for 16 years as a CEO and did a lot of this work, not only on the utility side, but beyond the meter on the building side as well and, and orchestrating it too. So you've been involved in some big projects. I, I unfortunately have spent over $2 billion in other people's money.
0: Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's a good number. Uh, hopefully the results were there. All right. So I'm going to let me just toss this question out to the both of you. OK, so as I mentioned earlier, Mark kind of just reiterated, you know, we've been having this energy conversation for a long time. OK. Um, and, and I want to know and we'll start with Galen. What's different this time?
2: And Mark, feel free to chime in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great question. As you say, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm going to say ships by the wayside uh, along this general path we've been following. I, I don't see those necessarily as failures they were incremental technological gaps and steps that were taken that had to prove themselves be vetted in the marketplace and ultimately had to find their connection to the broader market and, and the other synergies with those markets so to me it really boils down to a it's, it's just the progress of cultural awareness of the new technologies that are becoming available and that that evolution is is happening as we speak of course the the combinatory value of those combined technologies is really where you get the amplification and and that's why you know we've got as much data created in the last two years as as we've had in the history of the world so so
0: during the pandemic though is interestingly enough that they measured the energy output or consumption by uh, in new york um and despite the fact that those buildings were 95 percent empty the energy consumption of manhattan in the built world stayed the same during the pandemic okay so is that because of a lack of instrumentation? Is that,
2: is that because of a lack of data? What, what is the reason that happened? It boils down to insights. And that's, that's really where our realization came is that there is so much data out there. It's just not being procured, penetrated and exposed in a, in a convenient and relational way. And the reason is, 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 is very good. I mean, there hasn't always been the technologies with the capability to treat that kind of diverse and scalable data. Well, and and when we were chatting, I'm sorry, Mark, did you have something?
1: Yeah, i was just going to add to this, you know, where part of the change and why I believe uh, it's here to stay this time, the whole energy uh, opportunities and whatever is that it is a priority and digital transformation. That part of our journey in the smart building market has added to this. Others is today. It's politically correct to, for an organization, a business to demonstrate they're doing their part for energy efficiency, decarbonization, whatever. The whole ESG part of the new, that's part of a new conversation we didn't have five years ago, Jim, if you'll remember. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Galen mentioned this, is data today we have the ability to get data any kind of data we want any time we want and then utilize that data for insights and to actually do action on that which we talked about it five six seven years ago but it's not where it is like it is today
0: right well and one of the things that we we chatted about earlier is this um, concept called both sides of the meter okay And, and when i think of that both sides of the meter boy that gets to be Big, complex, comprehensive, and so, uh, Galen, you got a couple of illustrations. Why don't uh, let's let's pull those up and, and walk us through them and talk about the architecture, and then and then we'll drill down a little bit
2: deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring up that first one there, and this is really going to step back in the story just slightly, um, because to your point, when you, we talk about both sides of the meter, what we really are talking about is a, is a leap to bring two worlds that are heretofore, frankly, doesn't talk very much uh, and, and reconciling those two data sets. But to do, do that, you have to have an architecture like what, what you're seeing here, of course, we you have to be agnostic. I mean, at the ground level, you gotta be able to say, I'm gonna have open source devices, sensors, and be able to integrate with those that otherwise wouldn't be. You had to be able to model those in a, in a nodal network architecture, building up mapping those relationships so that you're not Relying on the existing relational databases, but actually relying on the ability to search and sort and filter those at a higher level to sit on top of those. And that's where that's where most people, I'm gonna say 90% have failed.
3: Is the but ability. with all with
0: all these different systems and organizations and buildings and infrastructure, you're you're dealing with you know multiple, multiple parties, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of different technologies and systems. You're saying that it, it is feasible to to take that and bring it all together under one platform?
2: Absolutely. It's being done in so many ways and in so many different areas that, uh, you know, these technologies, are, this is this is Google tech. Okay, is it new technology? Yeah, it's over a decade old. Uh, it's been used to create and, and sometimes capture markets by Facebook or others in financial industry, but it hasn't really been applied to the energy space. And I think that's where there's a lot of value that we're bringing. Interesting.
0: Okay, so you're using more of a modern technology approach to an old problem but 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 you do have ways of tearing down the barriers between systems and equipment that could be
2: 15 20 30 years old absolutely we can either integrate with the existing systems or build right on right beside them and bring in the data from IoT type data right,
0: let's drill down a little bit let's like go to the next slide and, and and keep going down so people have an understanding of what we're talking about sure
2: and this this speaks a little bit more closely to your beyond the meter question but it does give some concept to on the left side you can see what we are framing as a global data lake but by external data sets for that kind of first item there yeah we're literally talking about everything i mean weather drives gas prices oil prices electric prices it drives your inventory it drives your supply chain these are all data sets that are available that you can bring and relate to your SCADA, your gis your logistics your inventory or if you're at more of the grid scale, if you're at a network operator, maybe you have multiple buildings, not just a campus, but you're spread across the United States and be able to reconcile and put all those in one place. You're talking about looking at your distributed energy, your EV and your microgrids all together. and that's really what's on the left side there. Hmm. If we step across the middle, what we had designed the opportunity as, is to be sitting on the meter, which is the left side. We've got all this data available. The right side, you've got uh, the utility. Now, if I can reconcile those out of this, in, in, you know, this schematic here, now I get intelligence and I can get health. I can get building maintenance. I can get predictive maintenance. The algorithm, people kind of marvel at AI and ML. If you're built on the right architecture, those kind of opportunities, ML and AI fall out naturally. Right. And, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the opportunities are there for the prescriptive maintenance, the system reliability, machine learning. Transactive energy, of course, is huge in our space, and I can speak to that more. And later. then, then
0: why we're at, why don't we bring up the, the dashboard? We've seen a million of these, but th- this is where everybody gets to play and see, and where all of this incredible data integration comes uh, together.
2: Yeah, this. Uh, thank you for bringing this up. Um, I think at a high level here, what this is intended to capture, and really the imagination that we have in our company that we're really proud of, is the ability to dial down both from the macro or or build up from the micro. And you see that in our hierarchical domain knowledge represented here, but you can dial up or down all the way down to not just an HVAC, but the various sensors or the data IO coming off that. I can relate that all the way back through the building, through the meter, to the transformer, to the su- to the generation plant. I can bring that into one system and see that in a single visualization. That's really what you're capturing here, which of course gives me automated carbon Carbon metrics and receipts for carbon savings. So, is this
0: data acquisition and subsequently analysis? Is there any control component to this? I mean, can I have machines talking to each other and,
2: you know, uh, in, in install or implementing commands? Can, you know, well, control is a, is a result of insights. So, okay. if I can create those insights, the control follows naturally. And and. But does
0: it require human intervention, or what could the system actually do? For example, you know, fire alarm goes off, all locks open.
2: Absolutely. As as defined Mm -hmm. by the user. So that's that's the level of autonomy that a particular industry or user would prefer. So give me can you give me
0: some examples of 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 where this has been implemented? I mean, this is big, right? I mean, what kind of customers, clients, prospects, what kind of building projects would really be ready, willing and able to do something of this scope?
2: Well, when you talk about big, you know the biggest level is at your utility level, and so that's where we've started implementing it. Because the greater the scale, the more complexity. That's where that's where we shine. That's mm. where these types of architectures shine. So that's where we've started and exposing and virtualizing people's networks, and that could be that could be electro, electrical networks, it could be oil and gas, it could be really anything. But at the building level, uh, those kind of opportunities are going to revolve around the specific type of load. When we we don't care if it's a, a CAT scan machine or a large pump or an HVAC or it's just your lighting. Uh, you, those to us are all load. Once we understand the profile and the usage and the patterns of the load and how to relate that to the local markets and the broader building, uh, you know, the larger balancing authority markets, that's where it starts to make magic.
0: Now, now, Mark, you've seen this. You've heard this conversation a lot. I mean, tell us why with your experience and your exposure to, you know, hundreds and thousands of different systems and technologies.
1: Why is this one different to you? Well, I think one is the ability to be able to get so much more data by electric uh, or energy producing items within the building. Galen mentioned, like, for example, in a hospital, a MRI machine or something to that effect. That's number one. Number two is is that everything in the old days... I in my opinion, dashboards were folks who would be part of their solution. Here's our dashboard. And it has to be set up like this, right. There is no deviating. Today, it's all about deviation, customizable. And it's dashboards are much different. Today, when you're talking multi site versus single buildings, right. So again, it's just, uh, we've come a long, long way.
0: So, so, Galen, just so I understand, you know, let's use the, that MRI example, um, you know, in a hospital. Are you gathering intelligence on that device by virtue of measuring the electrical usage from that plug? Or is there an RJ45 or a wireless connection dialed into the back end of that piece of equipment that's sharing the data with you?
2: So you're going to you're be looking at multiple. And, and in fact, it could be any of the above. The key is, is being able to integrate with either of those systems. And being able to take relational data that says this equipment is about to function we know what the typical profile is how do i modulate that piece of equipment that discrete set of vendor specific database items and ios how do i relate that to my battery that's outside how to relate it to my hvac these are very discrete non non-communicable typically speaking systems right. that can now be integrated and what about if if something's
0: 20 years old? You just have an old building with a bunch of old technology. Does there come a point where you can't integrate and they have to upgrade that particular system or is there always a way?
2: Uh, 20 years wouldn't be far enough back, I'll say that. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, how far back do you go before it gets too
2: difficult? I, 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 you know what, uh, we have some fantastic, you know, this is kind of a new, I'm, I'm a more of a classical engineer when it comes to buildings and that kind of thing. But you know, and then of course you have the computer science engineers. There's really a new class of these, what we call IoT architects or engineers that have become specialists in the ability to talk to these various systems in every protocol and every type of language. And that's really that's really their niche is bringing that local PLC ability to contact and reach out and bring that back to our aggregation.
0: Boy, I, every time you say something, I got another five questions. All right, let's take a brief break. Uh, we're going to hear from one of our, our great sponsors. and When we come back, I'm going to start digging into how is this relevant for building owners, you know, million square feet, 10 million square feet, uh, maybe not the size and scope of projects that they've worked on. And, and what, what are the points that make this a, a really good idea? We'll be right back. All right. Let's bring the guys back and continue this great conversation. All right. So um, as far as the, the types of projects, you said you, you come from the background that starts with the utilities, that's big. Um, what size of project you know either a campus you know a corporate headquarters campus or a portfolio of buildings um, you know what size of, of building slash portfolio does this does it ha- what size is, is the right one where you start to consider something this complex and sophisticated
2: well as i mentioned the, the more complex the, the better um, however there's we found there's actually a lot of valuable insights that folks have just because of the common store has so much access to data, as Mark pointed out earlier, the orchestration of it can be pretty powerful for anybody. But certainly when you get to certain levels, if you're in an ISO or a, a larger balancing authority type entity, those get to be there are certain thresholds there that do make sense for that part of the business opportunity. Uh, but the data is is a, mil- a
0: million square foot building in downtown Manhattan. Does that work? <laughs>
2: <laughs> certainly. Maybe? Certainly works well. Yeah. No, you don't have to get that big. Not nearly that big. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe a 10th of that size or less. Yeah. So a hundred
0: thousand, a hundred thousand square foot building. Um, or, yeah, I would say less. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, cause I want to make sure the audience understands that this is not just for massive projects, that there's some practical use, you know, in, in a, in a midsize or, or you know, uh, even small building. That's great. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit earlier about grid interactive, efficient buildings. Can you define what grid interactive
2: means? Absolutely. And this, uh, this is referring kind of back to that front of the meter beyond the meter question you had earlier, uh, the ability to harmonize some of these data sets, but historically that has revolved around people's ability to um, reduce their demand usage from the utility um, that has grown. And because when people realize like ERCOTS or New York ISO or California ISO, when people realize they could have that real time interaction at their own level and, and kind of skip over all other business propositions. That access to that real-time data drove a lot of needs for managing the data. And that began to proliferate into what we call the grid interactive buildings. Uh, mm. But it's certainly at a bigger level than most people are. So you're talking about, you know, very uh, very specific niche of skill sets, of new lingo, uh, new new regulatory framework. So this is not something you just go do because I have the right data. That's gonna well, we and
0: we've been talking about, you know, the demand response conversation for probably feels like about 10 years now. Right. And we've had some. Some, you know, uh, case studies where, you know, the call comes in and they can actually go right to a floor and a light fixture, right? I mean, which I don't know how practical that is to scale at this point in time. Mark, I mean, we've seen a lot of big projects, specifically campuses in Silicon Valley. I mean, what have you seen, you know, of those that really have taken the
1: microgrid concept to the next level? Do we have any big success stories out there? Yeah, I think there's a few. And I know a a couple, uh, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to say their names, but that I I look at this whole concept as, is this that next extension of the true smart building? Right. In other Uh, words, again, we've integrated all this stuff. We made all the stuff interoperable. We get all the data, all the stuff we've been saying for 25 years. And uh, I think this is that next step. Uh, As far as that smart building journey is making it grid interactive and bringing that whole side of it in. So,
0: so Galen, think of all your customers, all your projects, all your clients. The clouds come over the city, changes the ambient temperature outside. And if you stood in the lobby, you could see the needle on the on the thermostat change. Is is that realistic?
2: Of, of course it is the technology is very transparent in regard to that uh, the ability for the, the photo sensing and the ability to modulate hvac there's obviously a balance there with the amount of autonomy that any user would want and the amount of comfort uh combined with the business value of it but there's no question that we can get to that level and, and are in fact there uh, today
0: okay so we are there i get it but out of a hundred buildings that you come across in your daily life, right? You know, from a retail mall to an office building to a stadium. I mean, you know the types of properties we all see. Out of 100, how many have implemented to that level?
2: Oh, my goodness. That's, a, that's I would say, a tiny fraction. One, yeah. two? Yeah, something okay. like that, yeah. So
0: we're, we're early in the journey.
2: Yeah, There's a lot of, uh, lot of value still sitting out there
0: yeah I mean the way I I look at it is I just want to go take a major you know 40 story building and squeeze it <laughs> you know and, and 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 honestly my journey started like I said the first idea of wanting to start real calm and then ultimately ibicon was just looking up at buildings with the lights on at two o'clock in the morning with four people in the building you know the cleaning crew and I get that cityscapes look beautiful at night With the lights but at two o'clock there's not a lot of people up and by the way there's external lighting technologies you can light those buildings leds low voltage whatever that give you the same impression but you're not wasting the energy right uh but but you would you know like i said i've been at it 25 years um and you're saying one or two out of a hundred we still have a long way to go right that's right all right before we run out of time i want to get one other uh term thrown out there and that's called electrification okay uh, of a building. Can you desi- or define what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, if, if for us, of course, there's many aspects in which uh, electrification has overtaken a lot of us, but this, the single biggest impact we've run into in, in the last year or two, really, is the implementation of EV charging at the building level. And there's been a lot of uh, need and drive and request for that. And of course, the infrastructure behind that is one of those natural things that causes you to look beyond the meter, back in front of the meter, as well as behind how to integrate those opportunities in the best place at the best value. But that's where we've seen the biggest impacts is, is, is again, handling a very diverse data set, the EV charging, and orchestrating that with your building load, with your, di- with your distributed energy, and with the utility.
0: So in your analysis, if there's 100 parking spots in a building today, five years from now, what percent of those 100 parking spaces will have to be electrified?
2: Oh, my goodness. Uh, that depends on what part of the country you're in, I think, Jim. <laughs> right. can you give me a range? I mean, just a, a I mean, you know. Oh, gosh. No, I, I I would say, you know, from what I've seen is anywhere from 10 percent right. uh, to 40 percent.
0: Yeah, actually, that, that I my number was kind of 30, um, you know, uh, and, and, and trying to figure out the trajectory of, you know, more and more EVs out on the road and, legislation coming from various states. So yeah, I think we're probably right in the
2: same ballpark.
0: You know, it's the- helpful
2: to think in terms of, if, if you took all of that that fuel that's being burnt by a car, took that on a, a B2 equivalent basis and turned that into electrons, how many more chargers would be required based on those right. number of cars? It, it's, right. it's a substantial change to the grid.
1: And then Jim, you know, as uh, owners and operators look to make their buildings unique, uh, different, Meet the occupants' expectations. uh, Especially Class A office buildings are going to be expected to have EV charging. Say not one, but multiple. Many, many, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know we got to take that into account.
0: Well, and then we get into the whole conversation of autonomous vehicles. You know, dropping Mm -hmm. people off and then going to their next location. Um, It 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 is going to change. And actually, there was a project about four or five years ago in San Diego where they actually gave them a pass on parking and they spent an enormous amount of time on ev charging and autonomous vehicle drop-off so they reconfigured the front and the sides of the buildings uh and i haven't followed up on that project but i'd be curious to see you know how much if they ever really implemented that concept or if they ended up throwing in a few parking spaces guys unfortunately we're out of time we always go over because these conversations are so great i want to thank both of you Uh, Obviously, this is going to be a conversation we're going to be going much deeper um, in at the conference. We've got all sorts of sessions around energy efficiency and smart buildings and low voltage. So we're looking forward to seeing everybody in uh, a little bit less than six weeks um, uh, in Las Vegas celebrating our 25th. So, guys, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, And have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you. Back at you. All right. Be well. All right, let's get to uh, one of my favorite parts of RealCom Live, and that's the news. And I think we got somebody sitting in for Howard this week who's been traveling. There she is. Hey, Nance, how are hey, you? Hey,
3: I'm doing well, thanks. How are you today?
0: You look way too happy and healthy for being in five weeks from the conference, I got to say. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's a
0: lot going on.
3: You bet. It's yeah. pretty busy right around here right now.
0: All right, well, let me get out of your way, do the news, and I'll be All back right. in a little bit.
3: All right, sounds good. Okay, I've got a quick recap of the, a few of the articles in this week's news briefing, which is published every Thursday morning. Our first article is titled, How to Plan Cybersecurity for Smart Buildings. Smart buildings are increasingly being built with connected devices that can be controlled remotely, and this presents a security risk. To ensure the security of these buildings, it's important to start by assessing the risks and identifying the critical assets that need to be protected. This can be followed by developing a cyber plan that includes policies and procedures for managing risks, training staff, and responding to incidents. Regular testing and auditing of the system should also be carried out to ensure that the cybersecurity plan is effective and working. It's also important to ensure that vendors and contractors are following cybersecurity best practices to prevent vulnerabilities from being introduced into the system. The article stresses the importance of taking a proactive approach as the risks are constantly evolving and a breach can have serious consequences. Next up is an article from our tech partner, Real Foundations, titled Four Ways Real Estate CTOs Are Returning Hours to Their Workforce. Real estate companies need professionals who understand business processes, systems, information, and the constraints of a complex real estate operation in order to achieve peak performance for their portfolios. Quality administration and end user support is essential for realizing goals and operating with maximum efficiency. Outsourcing to a a professional service provider gives you access to specialized expertise that may be available in-house that may not be available in-house and may be more effective to source externally. Real estate leaders are taking the following top four actions to improve their operational performance and gain a competitive edge in the market. One, delegate system administration tasks to a service provider. Two, automate repetitive high volume financial and operational tasks. Three, standardize business processes to minimize system disruption. And four, accelerate new asset onboarding by partnering with an external specialist. These actions can help return hours to a company's workforce, increase efficiency and process, improve scalability, provide access to specialized expertise, and reduce system downtime. Great article by Real Foundations. And lastly, ChatGBT confirms data breach, raising security concerns. When ChatGBT and similar chatbots first became widely available, the concern in the cybersecurity world was how AI could be used to launch cyber attacks. In fact, it didn't take very long until threat actors figured out how to bypass the safety checks and use ChatGBT to write malicious code. It now seems that the tables have turned, though. Instead of attackers using ChatGBT to cause cyber incidents, they've now turned on the technology itself. According to Security Week, OpenAI, which developed the chatbot, confirmed the data breach in the system that was caused by a vulnerability in the code's open source library. Although the breach was quickly um, addressed and impacted relatively few paying customers, it highlights the risks and and privacy concerns associated with chatbots. The incident may be a warning of the potential risks, including the creation of sophisticated phishing emails, disinformation, and conspiracy campaigns. OpenAI is taking steps to present future data breaches and is offering a bug bounty of up to $20,000 to anyone who discovers unreported vulnerabilities. Each evolution of chatbots will create new cyber threats, either through more sophisticated language abilities or through their popularity. This makes the technology a prime target as an attack vector. Only time will tell if the technology will be the victim of the attacks or the source. And on a final note on this topic, I actually used ChatGPT for the first time to create these article summaries. And I was amazed by how fast and easy the process was, as well as the accuracy of the information. It took seconds. If you haven't given it a try yet, I strongly yeah. suggest you do so.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell and, you it, yeah, it, that this topic is gonna be huge at the conference. I mean, if you kind of combine ChatGPT uh, or you know, AI in general with the mm-hmm. cyber conversation, yeah, there's an, and we're going to explore the great opportunities with you know, AI offers to our industry, but it is the Wild West, you know?
3: And yeah, it is. When you yeah, have people is. like Elon you Musk. Still have, uh, you have to try it if you haven't done it yet. Oh, no. Yeah. I literally said, please summarize this article. And I put the link in and it wrote me a summary. Now, did it get everything right? No. Yeah. And in fact, then I took the data and I copy pasted it in and I got a different result. But still, the results was were Pretty, pretty
0: amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, with some of the demos and the conversations we're gonna have, I mean, they're they're create a training program for a building automation system in about a split second. Split second,
3: yeah, literally, second.
0: second. All right, well, great articles, main and main, hitting the bullseye. Thank you so much, have a great weekend. Thank you,
3: have a great weekend.
0: Take care, bye-bye. All right, before I wrap the show, let's uh, hear from our final sponsor. I'll be right back and give a little update on what we're gonna be talking about next week. All right, um, next week, uh you know, you hear about these crazy technologies. I mean, the general technologies that have been under development for the last five, 10 years are really starting to hit our industry. And it seems like during the pandemic, the tech development didn't stop while we were all trying to figure out how to get back into buildings. So it's it's on us and it's on us fast. And the problem is. We don't have enough skilled people inside the built environment to deal with this technology. So, over the last couple of weeks, you've heard talked about great organizations, stacks and jewels, who's taking individuals who never would have thought about a career in building automation or smart buildings and getting them some great skills. Well, next week we're focusing again on the people side of the business because there is no more important issue than do we have enough people to deploy to make these buildings smart and then to continue to operate them as smart buildings. So next week we've got um, the topic is going to be training our smart building workforce. Bill Zito, CEO of Smart Buildings Academy and Julian Palacios, director of sales and business development for smart buildings. They've developed an online program that is really allowing people to fast track into this industry and become the kind of assets and resources we need to keep our buildings smart, energy efficient, next generational experiences. Uh, and really move these buildings into the 21st century. Great bunch of guys, great organization. And uh, I think you're going to be excited to hear what they're doing. So with that, I'd like to say thank you to our guests um, today, uh, Galen and Mark. Thank you to our sponsors. And again, thank you to the RealCom team uh, who puts this together each week. Thank you to all, and have a great weekend, and be well.